Hello, senior pastor. Hello, Pastor Ho. We're going to be talking, I guess it's a continuation of last week. We're going to be talking about Revelation chapter 2, uh, providing some context yes. and clarity, hopefully. And right. uh, right, messages to the churches. It's messages to the churches. Amen. And I think that those messages that were written uh, in Revelation chapter 2, uh, we're only going to cover about four churches today, uh, which is included in Revelation chapter 2. But those, that message that was given, that, those letters that were written to the churches, um, I believe we can draw from those messages and apply it to our church today. Um, Amen. The, the lesson, uh, this lesson will focus, like I said, on the four churches listed in Revelation chapter 2. And we see that there is a pattern in each of the messages to the churches. Yes. Uh, there's an introduction, uh, which includes a description of Christ. There's a commendation for their faithful work. Right. There's a reprimand for any failures. Encouragement to sustain them in times of tribulation and oppression. And finally, a closing message. So each letter, all, all seven letters are going to have kind of like these five main ingredients, so to speak, as we continue on. Um, someone has correctly stated that if we want to know what God is going to do in the future, we need to take a look at what he has done in the past. And I think that is so true. Yes. If we want to know what God is going to do in the future, we need to take a look at what he has done in the past. And I may even add an addendum, what he is also doing today or doing right Amen. now. And I think that's important for us. But I know you're going to go ahead and, and start us off with the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Yes, and as we said before, thank you, Pastor, all that uh, this subject matter today is very, very important because if we're going to know where we are, and I've always said this, if you visit other places, see what they're doing, it gives you a clear picture of where we are as a church and where we stand, and we learn from each other. And I, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to learn today what Christ is saying through John. And um, we touched a little bit on this last week. And Ephesus, the Ephesian saints, the church at Ephesus, was called to return to their first love. And I think the same call is for us today. The one in the midst was speaking to them. Verse 1 says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. What a, what a scene, what a scene. Uh, here John is instructed to communicate a divine message to the congregation at Ephesus. And when we preach or teach, that's what we're doing. We are communicating 
the message that was given to us through the Holy Spirit, I want you to remember that in the Old Testament days, olden days, that um, God used to talk to them in various ways. Um, now, through types and shadows, now he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ, through his messengers, the pastor or whoever is the preacher for that congregation. The message was to be communicated through the angel of the church, and we talked about this last week. It could be a literal angel that watches over the church, um, but we, we better believe that the best interpretation would be that the angel could be the messenger, the pastor or the bishop of that congregation that God sent to lead and protect the congregation. And um, notice how it was done. The one who is in the midst of the churches, between the golden candlesticks or lampstands, which also holds the messengers, stars. He holds the pastors. He holds the preachers in his hand, and um, they are given the message. It is also significant in several ways. And we could go through a whole lot of um, stuff here about this, but we will only take two of that today. First, the congregation needs to view and respect the messenger. Let me say that again. And I said it two weeks ago. The congregation needs to view and respect the messenger. Sometimes we get familiar with people, sometimes because we have your own because we allow you to talk to us face-to-face, we are not standoffish, then people kind of lose their respect. All right? The role of a shepherd is to feed and protect the congregation. The role of the shepherd, the role of the pastor, the role of the bishop is to feed and protect the congregation. And Peter said that, that we must take it to feed the congregation to which we are called. Now, um, sometimes what we find here is because people not living up to their responsibility, the church is not doing, the membership is not doing what it's supposed to, to do, that the pastor has to leave that which he's called to do, to do Amen. office work, as we are doing, janitorial work, and maintenance, sweep and maintain the congregation because nobody else would come. When I was young, going to church, and my sister reminded me about that the other day, that they used to go to the church and clean it up. It was not the pastor's responsibility. pastor's responsibility was to feed the congregation and pray for them. The membership Mm -hmm. must stand up and do that. Why? Because sometimes the members are too busy with life to assist in these matters. But it was never New Testament pattern. We are a priesthood of believers, not a priesthood of pastors. Remember that. Priesthood of believers, which means you are given certain role to do, you're given certain things to do, and it must be done. Second, pastors are to remember that they are messengers, not the message. And I won't spend time on that because we have talked about that time and time again. They are the messengers, not the message. He is the message. 
They must hear from God and deliver that message faithfully in the spirit in which it is given. Um, he provides, the pastor provides the message, or God provides the message. God chose the messenger and sustain his church. He provides the message, that is God, chooses the messengers and sustain his church. We are all chosen by God and we'll have to give account. Number B, Ephesus is commended, as Pastor O said. The church of Ephesus is commended for two areas of faithfulness. First, Jesus knew their works. All right? They toiled to the point of exhaustion. They labor. They steadfastly waited on deliverance and maintained faithfulness in spite of persecution and trials. They maintained their faithfulness to God in spite of persecution and trials. Okay? They endured this for the sake of Christ's name. Second, they withstood false workers. All right? So remember that. Regardless of what is happening, regardless of who talk about you, regardless of who say bad about you, you must be faithful to God. Then number C, they were corrected. Um, he says, verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else, I, I notice it says first works, not work, first works. Yeah. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and rem will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. All right, um, the Ephesian congregation was sharply reproved. Their faithfulness, patience, and endurance did not pardon their failure. Their lifestyle was missing the love that first they first had. They were doing things, but with a wrong heart. Let me say that again. They were doing things. I, I were doing. They were doing right things but with a wrong heart. Wow. They were doing the right things, but they were doing it with a wrong heart. So you can be doing things right, but you do it with a wrong heart. You fuss, although you're doing things, let me do me, I, I just do it. And you fuss and you complain about it. That's a wrong heart. Their sin that they had committed was they left their first love. And the Lord calling them. Good works and proper theology are no substitute for love. Good works must be accompanied and listen this congregation. Good works must be accompanied by right reasons and godly attitude. You must know why you're doing the work and if it's right, don't complain about it. Just do it. Feed the people who have need Pray for the sick. Do whatever you have to do and have godly attitude, right attitude. Godly attitude is the right attitude for doing what you are committed to do, are commissioned to do, because it's coming back to pay you. Um, then number D, a call to life. And listen what he said. He that art in here let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
He that hath in here, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We don't just want to hear and it goes through one ear and come out through the other. We need to keep the saying of that. We need to listen to what the Spirit is saying. Sometimes people rebel because of what is preached. Sometimes they are critical of the messengers of God. You know, but he that art and here to hear, the Lord send the message because he wants us to change and he wants us to live up to the responsibility. The letter to the to Ephesus closes with a threefold call. First, the church is to develop a spiritual earring that allows them to anticipate, to receive, and to understand what the Spirit speaks. And I've said that all the time. Yes, the messenger must be anointed, but those who are going to listen must also be anointed to hear. Don't be turned off. Oh, let your hallelujahs roll. You know, second what the pastor is saying. Support what the, the, the messenger is saying. Second, they must let the Spirit convict them of their sin. Convince them of the message, but validity. Correct their heart and guide them into greater revelation knowledge. Um, third, they are to embrace the promise of Christ. Those who are victorious to the end, those who are overcomers, will be permitted to eat from the tree of life. Those who are overcomers, those who, who you know, um, although that people are critical of them, they were faithful, they accept the message, they rejoice, they give honor to the Lord, and they live a victorious life, they will be permitted to eat from the tree of life. And this tree of life is symbolic of um, the one that was in the Garden of Eden that was impeded by sin. Um, he says that we shall be partakers, and this fruit tree shall never die, for it is the tree of life and healing. So we need to remember that. If you don't remember anything else, remember what is said to the church at Ephesus. They, they must return to their first love. They were commended, but they were also corrected. And some people don't like to be corrected, but you're going to be corrected in whatever we do. All right. Smyrna, Pastor O. Yeah. Yes. Thank, thank you, Senior Pastors. Uh, Smyrna... Revelation 2, 8 through 11, uh, they had some similar characteristics to the church at Ephesus. Um, in verse 8, it says, These things said the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. And basically, you know, uh, Smyrna was encouraged here to remain faithful. The source of the message is from the first and the last. And we all... Um, through reasoning, would understand that this is Jesus, uh, from whom all good things find their genesis, their existence, and their completion. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We find that in, um, in Revelation chapter 1. And then in uh, verses 9 through 10, it says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Very distinctive language there. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. 
Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The church is categorized by its perseverance. The church at Smyrna is categorized by its perseverance. They are in poverty. And two words translated as poverty in the New Testament um, mean, the first meaning is having no more than what is absolutely necessary for the sustenance of life. And then the second translation would be having nothing or being complete, being in complete destitution. Um, So it is thought here that the latter, meaning having nothing, was what Jesus was referring to here. Um, Yet Jesus declares they are rich with spiritual virtues and eternal possessions. Apparently, their tribulation and poverty are caused by individuals in the Jewish community, in verse 9. And this kind of struck me a little bit. I was talking to my wife a few days ago, and I said to her, I said, many of the things that we buy, it's not because we really need them just because we we want to have them and there's a difference between wanting to have something and need and having a need for something and i think there are times that we kind of conflate the two we mix the two up and say oh what we need is exactly what we want but god Hmm. was or jesus here was showing that there is a difference, right? Uh, the church of Smyrna, they were not rich. You know, they, they were not a rich church. They were not a rich people. Even though um, their particular church was in a certain province, they were not rich. They didn't experience well the way we, we knew it or the way we know it now. Christ encourages the church in Smyrna and prepares them for the future, First, they are to stop being afraid of the sufferings they face. We are not to live in an atmosphere of fear. God's people have always faced suffering in some form or another. It is part of this fallen world system. Christians take life as it comes, but never alone. And here, you know, we want to stress a community. Uh, We are a community of believers. We are a community that come together with shared values, uh, with shared beliefs. And we must recognize that even though um, life comes at us from different angles, we are never alone. We are brothers and sisters together in Christ. Second, some of the believers may be placed in prison by the devil, right? And this is not only talking about physical imprisonment because they were suffering, uh, but also spiritual imprisonment. The the enemy always tries to imprison you uh, through your mind, what you think, you know, your thought process, what you're thinking about. And there are times he'll bring about um, conflicting ideas, conflicting thoughts, having you think one way when you know you're supposed to think another. Um, Third, The tribulation has a specified duration of 10 days or a relatively brief period of time for their persecution. And when I read this, 
basically the, the scripture came to me, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Uh, and there's a, an old song, an old uh, song that says, I'm so glad trouble doesn't last always. So you may be facing some kind of trouble, some kind of issue, some kind of situation right now. But take courage that persecution does not last always and trouble doesn't last always. The believers are instructed to remain faithful until death. Faithful until death. The church Amen. in Smyrna receives no reproof. This speaks very highly of a church serving and worshiping God in very difficult circumstances. So unlike the other seven churches, right, Smyrna received, or the other six churches, I should say, Smyrna did not receive any reproof. Uh, uh, verse 11, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. The victorious overcomers will not be harmed by the second death. This is a rabbinic term indicating death beyond the grave. It is a reference to the final judgment of God where one's eternal destiny is determined. Faithfulness unto death results in true life. For the believer, death loses its sting and victory becomes, and victory because of the triumph over death by Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so now I'm, I'll turn it over to you again, Senior Pastor Pergamus. Uh, Amen. Yes, and I love that. For the believer that loses his sting and victory because of the triumph over death by Jesus Christ. Death loses sting and the grave is victory. We sing that song all the time. And what the time is going to be when we get there. Um, the third church is Pergamos. They were called upon to hold to the truth. Revelation 2, 12 to 17. And again, to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, These things say thee which hath the sharp, sharp sword with two edges. Um, this church, from what I read, was um, a citadel church church that was set high on a hill and um, was noted for its beauty, wealth, and abundance of cultic tempers, beauty and wealth. And um, it seemed like people came from all over just to see the shrines, um, just to see what was happening. They had tourists. This was the city that, or the church that, um, all the tourists would go to see what was happening at that time. A lot of money would be spent and so on. And they came not only to see, but to worship, um, to worship these, these gods that were cultist gods. Because uh, we had a lot of that in Rome. As a matter of fact, Pergamos was perhaps um, the... the, the, the the city that was the um, church that was there or the, the place that was the capital. That's what I wanted to say, the capital, really. But John received the instruction from this church from Christ. 
And notice that any instruction that is given comes from Christ. And God, Christ, has a sharp two-edged sword. The word is quick. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. So the sharp two-edged sword here was depicting the word of God. And we talked about that at length, that the word of God must cleanse us. The word of God must make us better. Thy word, said David, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And if we do, it is the word that corrects us. It's not a source. The word is not a source of fear for faithful believers. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And when a, when a father thank his child, it's not because of hatred. It's not because he wants the child to fear. It's a correction. So the word of God corrects us that our lives might be better. Notice what he says in, in, in verse 13. Again, as he said to the others, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, where Satan's seat is. And the holdest fast my name, and hath not denied my faith. Even in those trying times, even that they were dwelling where Satan's seat is, that they were commended for holding fast to the name of Christ. Even though they dwell where Satan's seat is. Pergamos, as I said, had shines, shrines dedicated to Zeus and, and four others. They were called the God of Healing, which brought many to the city. You know, people come with all kind of sickness and they come and pay their money and worship and look for these, these, these gods to heal them. But we know only one God can heal. It's the God mm -hmm. of heaven and earth. And here in this area, this church, this shrine, they worship and declare that Caesar is Lord. We know that that's not right. It is wrong. It is ungodly. But we can declare that Jesus is Lord. We know that because he's risen from the dead and he has the keys of death and of hell. And I want you to also note something else about this, this church here, or, or the shrine that they set up, that if they didn't worship, they were punishable by death. Yet the believers, against all of that, were faithful to their beliefs. All right? And even Antipas was, was murdered in is the, their presence for being faithful. You know, we must stand whatever happened and declare the name of the Lord. But they had left their, their first love. They had left what the Lord wanted them to do. They had left from holding to the truth. And the Lord said, no, you got to go back. Repent. Call for repentance. Whatever we have done that is against God, we are called upon to repent. Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. And we don't want the Lord because he can just speak one word. He can just blow one little wind. He can just, just allow the lightning to flash and then we'll be gone. 
but he give them a chance to repent, and we are called upon today to repent as well. And he says, I will give you a new identity if you hear what the Spirit is saying unto you. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give to him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save it, he that receiveth it. So the promise will be given, and is given to the victorious of hidden manna, and a white stone engraved with a new name. Now, manna here is symbolic of spiritual sustenance. The Lord will provide for us. He will make a way for us. And the covenant relationship we have with God um, sustain that. We give our all to him, which is our life, and he gives his all to us. Everything that we need will be provided, especially salvation. It is hidden to those with spiritual blindness. Stones here are symbolic of God's covenant with us and are used to commemorate victories through his power. Stone, I will give them a stone. Their names will be written in the stone. The color white in Revelation symbolizes purity and victory. All right? Here, it is a new name that is given, and it's a kingdom name. Perfectly represents the nature of the one who gives it and the one who receives it. That's why I love that song. Got a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. My friends, the Lord wants us to be white, pure, and white. The Lord wants us to have good conduct and a hope in him, and we will be given a new name, a godly name, a kingdom name that represents the nature of the one who gives it and the one who receives it. May we strive to enter into heaven. May we strive to do everything that is asked of us to live godly, righteously in this present world. All right, Pastor Ho, the fourth church. Okay, uh, Thyatira, Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29, is encouraged to increase in good works. They're encouraged to increase in good works. Uh, verse 18 says, uh, second part of verse 18, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Thyatira was what we would call uh, a blue-collar town today. Uh, we often refer to blue-collar towns um, in the United States, you know, uh, Pennsylvania, um, and other parts of the country, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, those areas there. Um, those are considered blue-collar towns because of the type of work that is being done. Uh, you normally or usually work that is done with your hands. Um, it was a city of commerce. Thyatira was a city of commerce provided by trades, guilds, uh, what would kind of 
what we would consider as unions today. Um, it had temples, but they did not play a significant role in daily life. The message to Thyatira is communicated by the Son of God. This is the only place in Revelation that this title is used. In verse 19 says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Jesus knows their works or their good deeds done as unto him. These works were motivated by a deep love. That's where you get the word charity, confident trust, faith, and were evident in a dedicated ministry, service. So they had three, um, three things going for them. They had uh, a deep love, which is charity, confident trust, and they had a dedicated ministry. They were in service to the Lord. This was done with a steadfast hope evident even in times of great duress, patience. Instead of allowing hardship to diminish their work for the Lord, it increased in the face of persecution. And this is something that I believe we can draw from this particular church, that in the face of persecution or work, should not diminish or work should not change. Rather, it should increase. Verses 20 through 24, um, yet the Lord declares he has a few things against them. The rebuke is severe and centers on a self-proclaimed prophetess called Jezebel. In, in Jamaica, we often uh, hear if somebody's talking to another person, and they want to curse them out. They say, you Jezebel. Not because of her gender, but because she is a false prophetess Amen. leading people astray. And this could be an entire session, an entire message, an entire sermon. Because we have many false prophets and prophetesses among us leading people astray. She has been given the opportunity to repent, but has rejected it in verse 21. Judgment will fall upon her and her followers in verse 22 through 23. The judgment will be public, righteous, and true. Christ promises that through his judgment, all the churches will know his character. The judgment described here will be only upon the guilty. Now, Albert Hubbard said, many a man's reputation would not know his character if they met, if they met on the street. Many a man's reputation would not know his character if they met on the street. And what we gather from these four churches is significant for us today. Because we understand that Christians throughout the ages have suffered in one form or another. In fact, persecution almost always fuels great growth of Christ's church. The point is that the provision of Christ is sufficient to protect Amen. us and sustain us during times of affliction. 
He does not promise to keep us from trouble, but to be an abiding presence and deliver us in our trouble. We are going to face trouble. We are going to face persecution. Um, In fact, you're seeing different movements in our world today uh, that are countering Christianity, that are countering the accounts of the gospel. Uh, But we need to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what Paul tells us to do. Um, As the one, Jesus, who holds the seven stars, he controls the presence of his messages in his church. He thus identifies those churches that are truly his as the one who walks in the midst of the seven churches. He is the source of life and holiness of his church. And that was written by Horace Gauze. And my encouragement, or our encouragement to each and every one of you, is to continue in your faith. Continue serving the Lord. You are going to have different types of churches, and I think this is what's interesting about studying these churches, is that you are going to have different types, different flavors of churches. But what's interesting is that each church had their issue. Each church yes. had their problem. Each church had things that they had to deal with, things they had to attend to um, as the Spirit revealed it onto them. And so even though there are some people we have, you know, what they call church hoppers running from church to church to church, but you find that when you are in a church, try and support the, the leadership of that church and make sure you do your part. And I think that's important that everybody who comes into a church body, a church uh, of believers, uh, a body of believers, make sure that you do your part. It is, it is critical, it is important for each and every one of us to do our part. Revelation 2 verse 1, uh, we'll just end with this. These things that he, Jesus, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And this just basically says to us that Jesus is talking. Jesus is speaking. And there's a song that says, Speak to my heart, Holy Spirit. Give me a word that will bring new life. So let us make sure that we allow God to speak in our midst. Um, and don't crowd out the Holy Spirit. Allow God to speak in our midst. And as our senior pastor talked um, earlier, um, he said that we should be careful what we say and be careful what we do um, against those that God has put in place over us. Uh, we ought to give them respect and we ought to support them as much as we can because they have the arduous task preaching the gospel and uh, tending to the hearts and souls and needs of the lost. Uh, Senior Pastor, if you want to go ahead and close it uh, in prayer. Yes, and we just wanted, I, I just want to say on behalf of the both of us and according to scripture, notice we didn't go to the seven churches, we only went through four, but notice that they all had their problems. You know, right. I'm pretty sure everywhere you go, you can find a problem. My whole teacher and overseer said, 
tell him that, oh, um, Bishop Smith, you have hypocrites in your church. And he would say to them, if you can find a church that don't have any hypocrites, come back and tell me and I will go there and worship with you. He's still waiting for those to come back and none has returned yet. Every church has their problem. But the good thing is that the Lord is talking and he's making the necessary correction. We are not perfect, but we are going on to perfection. And finally, I want to look at verse 25, Pastor Ho. And it says, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And I was intrigued by that. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. Hold on to your testimony. Hold on to your hope. Hold on to your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let anything take that away from you. Don't let anybody take that away from you. People will be critical. People will do this and that. But hold fast with that which ye have until I come. Hold on to his brethren. Hold on to Jesus. Don't lose sight of him because he will come back and he will reward us if you hold on to this saying. I hope you have been blessed today as we go through this lesson, and I hope that our church will be much stronger for these messages. We bless the writers who wrote these for us so that, you know, there's a lot of meat on the bone, and we can chew on it. And I'd like for you throughout this week to think about what was said and may it continue to be a blessing to you. I'm pretty sure we will take up on the other churches in the coming weeks. Bow your heads, everybody. And as we pray today, may we ask God to bless us. May we ask him to bless our church. I don't know what you think about your church, but be proud of your church. Be proud of what we are trying to do. And if you don't understand, just do some visits sometimes, and you will find out that that which we're doing comes from the throne room of God. Let us pray this morning. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, O God, our shield and our butler, look upon the face of thy anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For thy Lord God is the sun and shield. O Lord, you will give grace and glory, and you promise that no good thing will you withhold from them that walk it uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusted in thee. Oh, we say like David today, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in your temple. For the Bible declares that in the time of trouble you shall hide us in your pavilion in the secret of your tabernacle shall you hide us. You shall set us upon a rock. Oh God, and when we think of your loving kindness, when we think of you in the midst of thy temple, according to your name, O oh God, 
we praise thee, we glorify thee. We know that thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgment. Help us to walk about Zion and go round about her and tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces. You may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. So we make a joyful noise unto you. Holy land, we serve you with gladness. We come before your presence with singing, knowing that you are God and that you had made us and not ourselves. We ourselves. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pastor. So we enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. We are thankful today. We bless your name for your good and your mercy. Endure it forever. Bless everyone listening today. Those who are sad, those who are sick, those who have lost your love, those, oh God, who have never loved you well, help us to return to our first love where we loved you, that we wanted to serve you, and we couldn't wait for service to begin. We would rush from work to get to the place of worship to glorify and honor your name. I pray, God, that you will restore that unto us today. Restore our first love, that we should love you with all our hearts, all our mind, all our soul, and our entire body loving you. Oh, we have not loved you well, but help us to love you more and more, realizing that you love the world so much that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in you should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, God, prepare us and help us to be ready for your return. And we say now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight to Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And the church can say amen. We just bless the Lord this morning and we glorify his name. Praise the Lord. Praise.